well, the amount of fish that he could catch. And, uh, thank you. As I heard about that, I was like, you know what? No one in this church has ever invited me to go fishing with you. And that's okay. First of all, I don't like fish. <laughs> My wife is very, good, very happy that I'm not a fisherman. Pastor Dick, many mornings we met on a Friday morning, and, uh, and everybody, hello there. <laughs> everybody in, in that restaurant was talking about fishing. You joined right in the conversation. You knew where the best fishing spots were and all that stuff. As I thought about that, do you realize that when Jesus called his first disciples, they were fishermen? If you remember in uh, the, uh, first, you know, Luke chapter 5, when he first called his uh, disciples, they were fishing. They fished all night. They couldn't catch a thing. They were all upset, and Jesus said, let's go back out. Peter protested and said, look, we have fished all night, but because you asked for it, we'll go ahead and put our nets down again. And you know the story. They catch this huge amount of fish, come back in, more fish than they've ever caught in their lives. And Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They looked at the fish, thought of all the potential income they were giving up, and then they followed Jesus. Now, last few weeks we were going through the king's agenda. As I read that for today... Can you bring up Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9? It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, they were looking on as he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And now appearing, now not appearing to his disciples. With the Messiah risen, it must have been the kingdom will be restored right now to Israel. That's what they thought. But that's not God's plan. He has another plan, and it involves us, you and me. Don't be fixated on the times and seasons of such things. God has those things in hand. But here is what will happen. You will receive power, power from the Holy Spirit of God. And you will be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. They inquired about overthrowing Rome and and. And restoring Israel to its rightful place. But King Jesus, he answered with a key piece of God's agenda. The followers of Jesus bearing the gospel witness to the religious center of Judaism, Jerusalem, to the nearby ethnic centers, Judea and Samaria, and in fact to the entire earth, to all the peoples. Now I'm going to try and... Stay with my bulletin insert that I made up for you. I've called this, You Will Be Witnesses. You have a memory verse found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want you to try your best to memorize that. Now, 
after becoming a Christian, I went to a Bible college and then to Houston Baptist University and then uh, uh, on the seminary. And there was a time that I became so heavenly minded trying to figure out how God was going to come back and when it was going to happen. I became no earthly good. For three years, I'd studied the end times and had looked at every uh, aspect and every theological view of it. And after three years, I realized I know less now than I ever have before. And I thought about, you know, I was just like those disciples. But so are you. None of us were asked to be on the planning committee. God didn't say, Michael, how should I come back? When should I come back? What's it going to be like? He didn't ask me that. He didn't ask me to be on the planning committee, but he's asked me and every one of us to be on the invitation committee. Jesus told them, don't be fixated on the things that God's got in his hand. He's in control of that. In chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, now you, you understand that I like words. Words mean a lot to me because I find great meaning in them. He says, but you will receive power. That word power is dunamis. It's the word where we get dynamite from. It means force. Some of us thought that the force originated in 1977 with George Lucas and Star Wars, later renamed Episode 4, The New Hope, right? The force was long before 1977. At the very beginning of the church, Jesus tells them, don't worry about the end times. God's got that. But you are going to receive power. You're going to receive the force. Explosive power, miraculous power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. He tells them when. That word Holy Spirit is what we call paraclete. The comforter, the one that comes alongside and enables and helps us. He says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and then you will even tell other people about me from one end of the earth to the other. Now that's uh, my children's version. You have it in the NIV. Now, Judge Heaven, a witness that sits in your courtroom. A witness is someone that tells you or tells the jury what they saw or what they heard, correct? Okay. That's exactly what the word witness means. It's the word martus in Greek. It's the word which translated we get the word martyr for in English. Though there has been some, many, that have paid the ultimate price, their faith, their sharing their faith, cost them their lives. Then we call them the martyrs. It's the witnesses, those who tell others what they saw, what they heard, or what they have experienced. Some have been put to death for that. God's not asked you to die for him other than to yourself. He's died to ourselves that we might live for him. God's asking each one of us to live for him. He has a plan that involves you and me. It involves witnessing for him. Now, how many of you have heard messages about witnessing before? Thank you. Many times. 
as a young believer, I was, became a Christian in 1981, I was told that I needed to share my faith. Well, I had no idea what that meant. Well, I heard an evangelist talk about that when he was trying to learn how to share his faith, he would go into the mall and he would give a mannequin a track and he would explain the uh, way of salvation to the mannequin. And then he would, after he obviously attracted the crowd, he would turn around and, and talk to the, to the crowd about Jesus. And I went, hey, I could do that. So I went to Alameda Mall in Houston, Texas, and I went into the Foley store, and I found the first mannequin I could find. And I said, hi, I'm Michael. I would like to tell you about Jesus. And I opened up my track, and I read the track to the mannequin. Can you believe that I actually caught, people started gathering around me, going, what is with this fool? After I went through the whole track, I said, to the mannequin, would you be willing to receive God's gift of love through Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to pray, but before we pray, let me ask if anybody wants to join me. The crowd began to laugh and then disperse. And then this man came out from security and escorted me out of Foley's. <laughs> I thought, boy, that was a really stupid thing to do, huh? <laughs> For many years, uh, Pastor Dick and I were, I was a part of Pastor Dick's uh, small group, when we men's meeting we met. You showed us an illustration, the bridge illustration. He just took a napkin and he drew a line and made a chasm here and up here on a line and put a stick figure up here. And he said, this is you and me and everybody else. And then he drew like a circle over on this side. He says, and this is God. And you understand there's a big gap between you in God. That's called our sin. Our sin separates us from God. I'm going, wow, this is pretty cool. He does this all in a napkin. And he talks about what man thinks is the way to get from your separation from God over to God. And he lists several things. And he, said, he drew a message, no matter what you think, none of us reached, bridged that gap. But God saw our need, so he sent Jesus who died on the cross. Then he drew a cross and made a bridge from the man over here to God. He says, if you receive Jesus Christ, you can cross us. Like, wow, this is really cool. Pastor Dick, I have done that three or four times now in different restaurants, using that napkin, using that illustration that you showed me, and I've been able to explain the gospel. Now, understand you've let your children's pastor come up here, and I use object lessons. Many years ago, I found this object lesson. And I went, hey, this is cool. I got to get this. So I did. Let me get to the right place here. All right. Now, obviously, this is a big one. It's pretty inconvenient for you to put it in your pocket, Cliff. Okay? But it works really well in kids' church and worship their way. I show the kids that you and I are sinners. And we are separated from a perfect God. There's no way we can reach our God. But God loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sin and my sin. The Bible says the payment for sin is death. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid that penalty. But not only did he die, 
he was buried. They put a Roman guard, sealed that tomb to keep Jesus in the tomb. But you can't keep Jesus in the tomb. He was God. Three days later, he came out of that grave. He made a bridge for you and me that we can leave the life of sin that we were born into and make it to heaven through Jesus Christ. When we do that, we escape the flames of hell and we can go to heaven when we die. But more importantly, we begin a relationship with God. God wants us to follow Him, to serve Him. Now, this is called the Evangel Cube. It comes in three different sizes. And I actually have all three sizes. This one's a little bit easier to get around, but still kind of too big for your pocket, right? Same thing. Then there's one, a little tiny one, you can wear on your belt. And if you're just an individual, you can share that. A couple years ago, I was flying to Nashville, Tennessee, and I had that on my belt. And as I went through security, I know none of you have ever had this experience, but I came across a TSA agent that was not really nice guy. <laughs> and he makes me empty my pockets out, maybe go through the those things, stand up, go around, all this stuff. And he goes, what is that? Oh, you, you mean this? Well, it helps me explain a, a truth that everyone needs to hear. And he goes, really? Let me show it to you. And I opened it up. And I started going through it. And I said, we are separated from God. Our sin keeps us from reaching God. But God loved us so much that he allowed Jesus to die. Okay, that's great. Now, he was like the stormtrooper in Star Wars. You know, there's nothing to see here. Just move along, you know. He's like, okay, I get that. He goes, no, no, I'm not done yet. And he said, I said, move along. By this time, his supervisor comes on and said, sir, you need to move along out of line. Okay. So I walk out of the line. And this lady taps me on my shoulder. She goes, could you show that to me? I said, well, I need to get down here to my plane. She goes, I'll follow you. She rides the tram down DIA. We go down to my terminal. And I've gone through the entire uh, plan. She goes, this is too good. She gets on her cell phone, and a few minutes later, her sister and her mother show up, and I go through it with them. I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. The TSA agent wanted nothing to do with it, but these three people wanted to hear. And as I explained to them, I said, this made sense to you? Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And they're like, yes, I would. What do I have to do? So the Bible says, all you have to do is call on him. If you understand this, that Jesus died for your sin, and you're ready to believe with your heart and put your faith in him, you too can be saved. I led three ladies to the Lord in my terminal. Then I found out they weren't even in the same terminal they needed to go be in. Like I was in terminal C, and they needed to be in terminal A. So I had to get back on the tram and go back down to catch their plane. Like, really cool. When I got on the plane, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. God, thank you for allowing me to be part of the process of sharing the good news. I got on the plane... There's a businessman sitting next to me. He says, what do you do? I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. Said, yeah, I used to go to church. That's what started. God opened up another opportunity. I got to take this off again and go through the plan of salvation again. And every time that trip, I was using these little evangel cubes that I have to share the faith. So as I look at Acts chapter 8, 
A witness is just someone who tells what he or seen, has seen or heard or experienced. This word witness is a key word in the book of Acts. It's used 29 times, either as a noun or a verb. We are told to be witnesses or to do witnessing. While some of God's people have a calling of evangelism, which you can find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, all of God's people are expected to witness and tell those without Christ about our Savior. Our first point, God gave us this task, this plan for us to share our faith, but we are not alone. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, when this happened, these, had already seen, these people had already seen Jesus rise from the grave. They had seen him walk around in a, uh, a body that had yet to be glorified. They saw him rise up to heaven, and he was given the instructions, you wait, you're going to receive the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. Now that the Holy Spirit has been given, we don't have to wait. When you receive Jesus Christ, instantly the Holy Spirit comes inside you. He is our paraclete. He is our comforter, our helper. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit's going to give us the words to say. Now, the power of the church, the community of believers, not the building, but you and I, everybody in the church, the power we have comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not a luxury. It's not for the spiritual elite. It's for everyone. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity for you and me. We can do nothing of ourselves. John chapter 15. You can do nothing without Him. But through Him, we can do all things. He uses ordinary people like you and me to do, be able to do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God is working in us. Now when you get to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Luke gave us an outline of the book of Acts. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 1 through 7. He said, then you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's Acts chapter 8 and 9. And you will be witnesses to the very end of the earth. You'll tell everybody. That's Acts chapter 10 through 28. So you have an outline of the book of Acts, just that one verse. We're not alone. God's given us the Holy Spirit. It's not up to us to save anyone. When I went to the Bible college, if you didn't lead, they had a number that you were supposed to lead to the Lord every week. If you didn't do that, you were a failure as a Christian. Well, I felt it real guilty that I couldn't reach that standard they had set. So I figured I needed to learn better how to share my faith. And they had an opportunity. They were, the school was in Kissimmee, Florida, and they were going to take uh, students from Kissimmee over to Tampa, Florida to one of the projects and we were going to go in the projects and share our faith. So here's a bunch of white guys ride this bus into Tampa. And we're in the projects, and no one in there was white. 
we sort of stood out, you know what I mean? And I went through there just talking to people. Spent the whole day there. In that whole day, there was maybe three people that actually said, I'd like to know more about this. And I got to share my faith the best I could. And out of those three, I can guarantee at least two of them made a, a decision that was true and sincere and that they received Christ. Now, when I got on my bus, the man that brought all the students out there was taking a tally of how many people you led the Lord. Basically, it was how many people you got to say this prayer. And people were saying, well, I said 52, and I had 70, and I had 100. And he goes, well, Michael, how many did you have? Said, well, at least two, maybe three. And they laughed at me. And the more I thought about that, I was like, you know what? They might have had someone say a prayer, but how sure are they that they actually made a commitment? I felt kind of embarrassed on the boat. So on the trip back to Tampa, it was about an hour and a half, or from Tampa back up to Kissimmee. I said, you know, I don't have to be ashamed of because God gave me an opportunity to be a witness. I wasn't doing this by Michael's power. It wasn't by him saying a prayer. It was by them seeing the light of Jesus and maybe seeing it in me. As I got back, I opened my Bible. I was reading in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws me. And I stopped. I said, wait a minute. No one comes to Jesus unless God draws them to him. So unless the Holy Spirit has gone and uh, cultivated the soil, as you have planted the seed, have shared your faith, it's the Holy Spirit that says, this is true. You need to believe it. John, Jesus said in John, no one comes to me unless he comes to the Father. And then when he comes to me, I'm going to raise him up at the last day. He says, I'm going to save him. I'm going to be their Savior. All of a sudden it hit me. It's not my job to save anyone. It's my job just to share. In Mark's Gospel, at the end when he gives the, the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. And I was like, does that mean I'm supposed to talk to animals? You know, I don't understand that. And as I began studying the word, it means to everyone that has a soul. Everyone has the possibility of receiving Jesus. God's plan for you and me is not to sit on our blessed assurance and think, hey, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But we'll be part of God's plan of expanding his kingdom. Our job is to share what God's done for us. So the question is, why do we need to witness? Well, I found a fourfold answer for that. In your bulletin, you'll see there's four parties that are involved in that answer. The first one is God. God commands us to. Can you bring up Matthew? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 9. This little two-letter word, go, is not a suggestion. In the original language, it is a command. God commands us to make disciples. 
God tells us it's His plan for you and I to share the faith that God has given to us. First reason, God commanded us. Number two, believers. We're chosen to. Let's look at John. John chapter 15, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We're supposed to be, we're chosen to be fruit bearers. Not only the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of reaping the harvest of souls. First of all, it was God. Second was believers. Third, it's the unbelievers. Those without Jesus need us to tell them. God commands us, believers, we're chosen to be the ones that share the gospel. And those who don't know Christ need to hear it from us. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the... Four? Yeah, okay. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteous for everyone who believes. We are that righteousness of Jesus. Because God lives in us, we get to be the ones to share the righteousness of God to others, to give others the plan of salvation that they might experience life, eternal life in heaven. But first of all, God commands us to. And second of all, believers were chosen to. Unbelievers, they need to hear us do it. And the last one is Satan. Satan's kingdom suffers loss when we share our faith. Acts chapter 26, verses 18, 16 through 18. Now get up. Stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. 18, to open up their eyes. Verse 18. To open up their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When we share our faith, Satan's kingdom suffers loss because we have robbed him of a soul that he no longer has authority or a power over. We have saved them from darkness and God has brought them to light. But who's the one who gets to do that? That's you and me. We get to share our faith. It also tells me why we are so reluctant at times to say anything. Satan doesn't want you to. Satan wants you to just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. It's, it's kind of uncomfortable. You know, what would they might think about you? All these thoughts come through your mind. Satan would be very happy with you and me if we just keep it to ourselves. We might have salvation. There's nothing he can do to take that away from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not even Satan. But what he can do is tell us, oh, they don't want to hear that. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to think you're a fool. Sort of like witnessing to a mannequin. They were. 
Satan tries to convince us that we need to keep our mouth shut. That we don't need to share the light. But Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He says, a city set up on a hill is not hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket. Instead, he puts it out where everyone can see. My prayer is that God shines his light through me that others might see Jesus in me. Some of you know that I like putting up Christmas lights. Uh, I'm not as crazy as uh, Art Griswold on uh, Christmas vacation. But I, I go through a lot of steps. I, time I spend putting up lights. I have a neighbor across the street from me. He's, the, the religion or the faith that he has is not one that says that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And there's, I, he talks to me and I talk to him and there's no way he's ever could convince me that he's right because I have the word of God to stand on. But he's sitting there, he watched me. It took me an hour to put the lights all the way around my house. I made sure they're all exactly the same distance apart. They have the same pattern all the way around. And he watched me and I did it all, all around my house. And he came over and she goes, why'd you spend an hour up on your roof putting up Christmas lights? I'm thinking... Hmm, I could tell him, well, I like Christmas lights, which is true, but I'm going to use this as an opportunity. I said, call him by his first name. I said, you know what, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light. And I get to put Christmas lights on my house because of that, because I want people to ask me why I put lights on my house, so I can tell them that Jesus is the light. And that if you put your faith in him, you too can be saved, and you can have eternal life. He looked at me, made a, a grimaced face, and walked across the street. A few minutes later, his son came over. And he goes, hey, my dad's a little mad at you. And I said, yeah, I figured that. I didn't mean to offend him. But I was going to share the truth. And he goes, well, I'm glad you did, because I just told him that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And it's not because of the church that I attend to. It's because I have put my faith in him. I have a relationship with him. I'm like, High five. Welcome to the family of God. Unfortunately, it's not going to be an easy task. You just experienced that with your father. Those who don't know Christ, Jesus said, you will have troubles in this life. Doesn't mean we're going to have a bed of roses. We're going to have troubles because Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. All because you believe in Jesus. Does that mean we want to give up? I hope not. It encourages me just to go on further and further. In our Praying the King's Agenda, there was a prayer for this day. It said, help me speak the good news. Help me share what Christ has done for me. Help me show the love of Jesus wherever you send me. Isaiah 56.2 says, Blessed is the person who does what I want them to do. What does God want us to do according to this? Share our faith. He promises if you share your faith, you will be blessed. But you're not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit. He will give you the word to say even when you don't know what to say. Now, you can use a napkin. I have some great 
object lessons I use for the kids all the time about sharing my faith. Or you can just share what you've experienced, what God's done for you. And God will use all those things that you can share the love of Jesus. That's why God left us here. I'm going to pray. Abba Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you that because we have trusted you, those in this room that have given their hearts to you, you've given us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do any of this on ourselves. Father, you've given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to give us the words to say, to comfort us, and most of all, to follow you. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. And Father, that we would daily pray and ask you for that help, that we can share that love of Jesus to others. Help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to proclaim that word that you've given us. Father, I thank you that you've entrusted each one of us with that. Now, Father, help us to be about your business, as Jesus told his parents. We have to be about your business, Father, of expanding your kingdom by sharing the simple way to receive Jesus Christ. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.